it all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Ross Wainwright, Chief Executive Officer of Alita. Ross is a seasoned software executive with a proven 30-year record of fast-tracking ideas that will disrupt existing markets. He firmly believes in a world where the best business decisions are those made with customers, not for them. Before joining Alita in 2019, Ross was CEO of the Americas region for global networking and services provider Dimension Data NTT. Prior to that, he spent over 15 years with SAP, where his most recent roles were Chief Customer Officer for the S4 HANA Cloud Business Unit and Global Head of Financial Services. Ross has both American and Canadian nationality and currently resides in Toronto. Ross Wainwright, welcome into the corner office. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Great to uh, spend some time with you, Brent. Oh, it's, it's awesome. We spoke just a couple of days ago and got to know each other. And I've been so looking forward to this conversation. But we always like to kind of start with, you know, kind of what's going on with the pandemic, you, your family and your team. And, you know, give us a quick update. How has it impacted you? And, you know, kind of how are things going, uh, both on the personal as well as the professional side through these very interesting times? Well, th- thank you for asking my my family as well. Mm. Um and uh, we, we're we're really fortunate that uh, in our bubble we're we're well, and my extended family as well. Um, you know, from a company perspective, uh, we we've adapted very well to this remote world. Um, right. But I will, as a footnote, I will suggest that I worry about mental health. Um, yes. I think it's a major uh, concern that CEOs and boards need to have right now. It, right, it is right. alive and well. If you don't see it, go look for it. You'll see it. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know if I've solved the problem, but we, you know, the the health and uh, safety uh, and um, you know overall me- mental space of our employees is just, it's just so important. And yeah, I worry so about our communities right. too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Particularly the children, you know, and how it's impacted their education and you know, sure. that impacts your employees as well. Right. Cause they all have kids at home and having to divide their time, et cetera. Yeah, now no you're doubt. up in Toronto. Um, and of course I'm down in the U S we've had a kind of a different trajectory as it relates to how your government and ours, uh, as has done this and you're a dual, dual citizen as well. So, you know, we'll yeah. talk a little bit about that, but mm-hmm. you know, how, how is it going there? Has the lockdown been effective? Are you folks in a state of, you know, uh, total isolation now or are things, you know, kind of op- opened up a little bit as we go into this uh, winter season? You know, it, it's it's been similar to the U.S. It's gone in waves. So right. we're now in 
um, pretty similar to what was back in that we had back in March. So it's, it, it's, we're definitely mm. in lockdown. Right. I would say the difference is, you know, different countries are, have different, uh, approaches, different perspectives. And, uh, you know, in, in my Chicago home, um, you know, there's, uh, uh, there, there's a, a pretty strict, uh, approach, uh, right. in the communities that I live in up in Canada, it's very strict, but it's also legally mandated. So, and, yeah. and enforced. And I would say that's the, that's the big difference of the two. But, uh, but I think that in, in the communities that I live in, there's, you know, there, there's a, there's a dedication to doing whatever we can to get this behind us, yeah. you know, to make stay sure healthy. that, you know, to stay yeah. healthy, to yeah. make sure that we protect, uh, the most vulnerable people. And, um, and, and, and we're in this, in, we're in this together at that's the end right. of the day. I think yeah. it's, Communities raise children, right? And and communities <laughs> communities get through pandemics, perhaps. That's right. Uh, Absolutely. Is, is my is my point Absolutely. of view on it. Now you've got an interesting nationality background. I, I only just found out today of your of your dual nationality. You mentioned Chicago, mm-hmm. mom Canadian American, dad Canadian American. How, how did that come about? You know, I I my wife and I and our children emigrated to uh, Silicon Valley. Okay. Uh, back in two thousand, I I had oh. worked for several companies. U.S.-based companies running uh, Canadian businesses, and I just had, a, a, an, a, as a young, you know, as a young ambitious guy, um, you know, my uh, my my perspective was I wanted to run a software company on the world stage, and the world right. stage, you know, was at the time and and arguably is today uh, was Silicon Valley. So I, I moved to Silicon Valley, and uh, you know, as a as a as an expat uh, with a visa and. And uh, loved my experience in in Northern California, and and then uh, with with uh, one of my companies, SAP at the time, I moved to Chicago, and uh, and determined that 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 you know I I'm a I'm a very active person, um, uh, active in in many different ways in terms of how I live my life and how I run my business, how I participate in my community, and I wanted the right to vote. I wanted my yeah. voice. Uh, heard. Um, so as a result, I, I became a citizen in 2012 awesome. and, wow, uh, right. you know, I, and I'm, I'm proud of my, my dual citizenship. I think I have a, a unique perspective, you know, spending 35 years in one country and 20 in the next, right. uh, in right. America. Awesome. Well, let's talk about those first 35 years. So, uh, grew up in Toronto. What, what part of Canada are you originally from? So I, I grew up in Toronto, um, mm-hmm. downtown Toronto, um, uh, went to the University of Western Ontario and, uh, you know, had my first job running uh, a business uh, in Toronto. And then uh, my first corporate job was in Toronto and then kind of found my way to California, to California in 2000. Yeah. Mom and dad, uh, university degree, did they come up through the working class? What, what was your early family life like? You know, we, so a middle-class family, but mm-hmm. uh, education was a big part of, uh, you know, kind of the commitment of how we grew up, uh, very academic. Uh, my father oh. was a lawyer. He's unfortunately passed, but, uh, he was, uh, he was an academic at heart, a lawyer at heart, uh, a, a chef at heart, a oh. French chef at, at heart. And, uh, <laughs> so, so you he, ate well early on. <laughs> no, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, and, and uh, mom worked from the home. Did she have a career as well? Yeah, or? my 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 mom was a teacher, and then she raised okay. kids, and uh, and then she reinvented her career at fifty, and um, she's eighty eight today, ah, and she's feisty as ever, and <laughs> and fighting through the pandemic. I'm really yeah. proud of her. Brothers and sisters. Yeah, two two sisters, both yeah. in Toronto. They've raised their families, and 
all their kids are doing great and, um, you know, in, in school, heading to university or in university and, you know, great careers and, and, uh, you know, just terrific families. You'd mentioned education was an important part of your upbringing. And, and my dad had a PhD in education. He was an elementary school teacher and then administrator, principal for, for many, many years. Yeah. Um, with your mom being a teacher, I can identify with that. But obviously with your dad achieving his law degree, what were some of the other things that you remember as a child that, you know, were important that mom and dad import, imparted on you? You know, I grew up in a, a family of debate and a family yeah. of, uh, of, uh, of attorneys, of uh, judges, of mm. lawyers. Uh, so the one thing that I determined, Brent, that I did not want to be was I did not want to be a lawyer. <laughs> um, I, 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 I was more interested in the pursuit and, uh, and, and competing. Um, and, but the, the, the details of the debate were less relevant to me. I, I wanted to, I wanted to win. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to, um, I wanted to drive my career, uh, from a sales standpoint. And I yeah. knew that very early on, I wanted to, uh, be in a sales business. I jumped into a, uh, a role, um, managing, uh, a painting franchise back uh -huh. in, um, you know, back in, uh, 1980. Two and uh, I, I was the number one franchise for this company in North America, Rookie of the Year. And this is and even before university. This was uh, this was my last year of high school. Last year of high school, going Great. into university. I painted for a summer, and then I I ran this business, and awesome. uh, I ran the number one franchise as a rookie, the number one franchise uh, the following year. And and you know at at, at twenty two, I was a general manager with you know wow. 30, 30 people working wow. for me and running a business, uh, you know, painting people's homes and, and, yeah. and just learning and growing. And I, I realized the sales piece was a lot easier than the delivery piece. Um, and hire learned, good people, right? Ross? Hire, hire, <laughs> hire good people. People that know how to do the job. Supply. Were you a good student in school? Was that uh, yeah, something was, you excelled at and enjoyed? Yeah. You know, I was a good student. I, I, you know, I, I would probably, I'd be one of those students that, um, did enough to do well and do oh, uh, good enough, I would say. Um, right. But um, what about know, other interests? I hate to ask the stereotypical. Did you play hockey? But you know, it's I, I was uh, <laughs> I was a, I was a, I was a very average hockey player. Um, right. Other um, sports you? But I loved I loved hockey. Um, yeah. You know, I played soccer. I played rugby. I was a cellist.H, uh, in a symphony, I was a wow. lead, a lead cellist at a symphony orchestra. So really? I, uh, I, had a, I had passions from a lot of different, yeah. uh, you know, left left brain and right brain, I guess. Where'd the and, music uh, come from? Was that was that a parental inspiration? Uh, my or? father, for sure. Yeah, he, yeah. You know, he always had jazz or classical music nice. on, and and there was a there was a an expectation that you would you would learn a, a musical instrument, and uh, wow. uh, you and we were fortunate enough that that was that was one of the investments that my parents were able to make for us growing up. And, and it just teaches a different, a different way of thinking. It's and, so important uh, for the brain. You know, there's been sure. so much written about, you know, developing that creative side. Well, that, uh, that certainly I'm sure has added to your ability to manage and develop. Well, um, you mentioned the entrepreneurial, uh, painting business. Was there other things that you did as a kid? Uh, you know, we have the ubiquitous paper route, of course, in the U S and, um, you know, was there other, you know, earlier stage entrepreneurial things you were involved with before you got into the painting franchise? You know, I think I was 13 and I was a, I was a cashier for a hockey <laughs> rink. And, <laughs> there we go. And, and, and the, fr and, and I became the leader, uh, the manager of this, this cashier 
group of, of half a dozen people. Cause then as the boss, you didn't have to, you only had to do one 5.00 AM shift right. uh, as the hockey players came in. And then you got a bonus at the end of the, at the end of the year. So I, I wasn't a paper route guy, but I definitely was a, a cashier early on. And again, it was an expectation. If, if you wanted money, you had to work and, and yeah, money right. provided right. independence and, yeah. and, and gave you, you know, gave you, uh, you know, some empowerment to do what you wanted with, you know, as a young person in life. So I think those were important lessons. Absolutely. Well, and I'm sure it was assumed by, for both you and your sisters and and siblings that you would go on to university. Um, what made you choose to, to go where you went? And, And I think you studied English and history, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I think this is perhaps part of the I guess the left brain, is it the left brain? The, uh, the, the cello side, the musician right, the creative side. Yeah. 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 The creative side. And I, I, I loved, uh, I loved history. Mm. Um, I, uh, I focused on postmodern, uh, German history. Oh. Um, mm. I, I liked English as well. And having the, the double major helped. I, I ran a, uh, I had a minor in business, uh, at the university of Western Ontario, I had a very good business program. It's world world renowned today. And, um, and then at, at the same time I ran my business. So, so on the weekends I would be, I'd be driving back to Toronto and I'd be, I'd be doing, uh, estimates. Oh, so the and painting contracting w- went all through your college years it, as well. Yeah. It, it, ah, it was all through the college years and I wow. ran that business on the side and, and, uh, nice. and it was a bit of a distraction perhaps for my education, <laughs> but, uh, but you, you like, you like the earnings from it. I'm sure I liked, I liked the earnings <laughs> and I, I like to, um, uh, I, I like the idea of achieving something mm. and, uh, and being able to look back at what I was able to achieve and, uh, and how I was able to not just do it for me personally, but to, to build something for and generate jobs for other people. And I was a young person, so I didn't yeah, perhaps yeah. understood the whole implication, but it's, it's something I carry today in my fifties where, um, generating jobs, getting people out of their comfort zone, Mm. challenging them to be their best, allowing them and creating a culture where they can fail and reinvent themselves is really powerful. And it's something that's really, it's really rewarding for me. You know, that, that personal growth that you can help people through. Now you went to Kodak, as I understand it, right? Straight out Mm -hmm. of, of university. Did you sell the painting contracting business or give that up at some point in time? You know, I, I gave up the the painting uh, business. Uh, I felt that uh, some corporate experience right. uh, at the time it was a tough economy. Early '90s was a tough sure. economy in yeah. Canada. Um, I I jumped into sales. I, I talked to Procter and Gamble and a couple mm. of the banks. I talked to Xerox and and uh, you know Eastman Kodak uh, were really excited about you know my background and. And, um, my, my first job was, uh, at Eastman Kodak, I was selling, you know, photocopy equipment and, and I had a, I had a postal code or what we call a zip code in the United <laughs> right, States. Right. So I had a, a number of blocks and An area. we, we uh. didn't have, we didn't have car allowances back then. I had a shoe allowance. So they gave me a, 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 a stipend <laughs> leather, for, leather for, shi- for, for shiny <laughs> shoes as you walked up and down the towers and knocking on doors. So I love it. I love it. The old cold calling. That's fantastic. Indeed. Now, you know, how was that transition? Cause you were managing what you said by 20, 25 people in your painting contract business. And then you, I am assuming kind of went as an independent sales executive yeah. to start, right? Was that a tough transition from, you know, managing those folks and directing them to, you know, kind of being an individual contributor? No, I think I was ready for it. Cause I, I painted for a summer and then I managed my painting franchise for, uh, for three years. So I was right. just burnt out. I was yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I, and I loved getting into a team culture. This was my first sales job sure, selling right. hardware. 
and uh, working with a team of people competing for, you know, top honors. And, and I was a good salesman. I, I, I worked hard. Uh, I was really lucky. Usually the people that work the hardest generally are the luckiest in sales I found. <laughs> That's right. That's and right. Um, so I, I was, uh, I was fortunate that I had uh, five, five great years at, at Eastman Kodak at Kodak Canada. And, uh, very corporate training brand. You know, we went yeah. down to Rochester, New York for, I don't know, it was like nine weeks. And, you know, you, you could wear a blue suit or a gray suit or a black suit. The shirt <laughs> had to be white. You had to put your jacket on when you left the training room. And oh, yeah. every year, oh, yeah. every week you'd have a presentation and you'd be stack ranked and, you know, and they, you know, they'd stack ranking. If you were at the bottom of the rank, then, you know, you'd be let go. And, uh, that was kind of that early corporate culture that I was exposed to in the, in the, in the late eighties, early nineties. You know, there's something to be said about working for large companies to start with. As, as you may know, I, I started in Procter & Gamble brand yeah, management, sure. spent about eight, nine years, traveled around the world. And, you know, I encouraged my kids when they decided to go out, you know, because startups were the thing and, you know, they wanted to go make a lot of money. I said, you know, take a step back, take $10,000, $20,000 less and, and get trained because you cannot put a price on the type of experience you get in large companies. Did, did you feel that as well at Kodak? Did you get some pretty good training, some For early sure. lessons very, there? Very what what were some of those? Share us with some of those things that you took away from that experience. You know, I think the, the corporate training was was fabulous, right? Yeah. You know, um, whether it be General Electric or IBM or Xerox, yeah. you know, Eastman Kodak, I know that they're a former, they're former, the, the company today is, is, you know, is, is a different, it's <laughs> yeah. a different business. So they, they've reinvented themselves too, right. which is, which is admirable. But, um, but that corporate training was very, very important. The, the structure, the discipline. Yeah. And I think for, for young people today, um, that corporate training, by the way, could be working for a, a small, um, innovative so software company. It, there's a corporate element to being part of the SaaS business, the technology business today. It may not be IBM, uh, you know, those jobs still exist, but you can establish a corporate culture working for a small company. What I advise young people to do though, is fight through the adversity because yeah. it's the reinvention of the adversity that really builds character. It, it builds the skills you'll need later in your career. And it's That's so right. easy to jump around. I've, I've worked for five companies in 32 years, so I'm loyal to a fault. Right. Um, and, um, I think that that, uh, sticking to something and, and going through that reinvention, even when it get hard, gets hard is, is really important in your career. Now, did you get management responsibilities at Kodak or did that come later? Uh, I, you once know, you went to Silicon Valley? Yeah. My, my last year, uh, at, at Eastman Kodak, I was at a 210% of plan and right. had a huge year and, and I went to them and I said, so, so guy, I was, I don't know, 20, 26 years old. I said, what's next? And they said, well, first of all, you're making more money than the, you know, the president of the company for Canada. And, <laughs> you're and I said, for. okay, well then let, let, why don't I go manage a team? And they said, well, you know, we, we really look for people in their mid, their mid thirties. Oh, so, yeah. um, so at the same time, I got a call from a, a young, innovative software company, pure software company mm. called uh, Parametric Technology, and you know, was able to kind of had the prospect of doubling my income. And I, I joined that company as the first Canadian. I opened wow. up the business for Parametric Technology and uh, and jumped into the world of software, which was very different yeah. than the, the 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 hardware world that I grew up in at Eastman Kodak. So again, management responsibilities there straight out of the, uh, out of the shoot or no, when did you kind of go back to managing people in a corporate environment? You know, they asked me to, uh, to carry a bag, um, right. 
uh, to, uh, to, to sell for a couple of years. And, and I had a, uh, an interesting run, uh, building out that business. And then, then they gave me the, the Canadian business. So I was the first Canadian hired, wow. the first Canadian manager, you know, I was running a $25 million business with eight salespeople working for me and marketing and demand gen and having absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'm sure making all sorts of mistakes and, right, and right. It, it was a fast, uh, charging, you know, uh, South side Boston, uh, aggressive software mm. business, 44 sequential quarters of double digit growth. It wow. was, uh, the company was just on fire with a terrific product. And this was 1994. Like this was a, yeah, was yeah. very pre -internet. early. Yeah. yeah. Pre-internet yeah. early, very early software. We were running across upstate New York and, and, uh, from, from Syracuse to Buffalo and Eastern Canada, you know, with a Silicon Valley workstation in the back of my truck and an engineer beside me <laughs> pitching, you know, carrying in the computer and going and pitching our product. Wow. Fantastic. So, um, was that the company then that you moved to Silicon Valley with, or did you join them, uh, there? Tell me about kind of that transition to the, to the States. Yeah. So I started with them in Canada, okay, got um, it. jumped into a management job, had some good success. And, um, and I, I could feel this gravitational pull to, mm. uh, to the U S and that was the epicenter, wasn't it? That was the epicenter. Still I, is for the most part. It yeah. is, it is. Yeah, it's such yeah. an amazing place to, yeah. to build a career. And, uh, so they moved me to, uh, to Silicon Valley. I arrived, yeah. uh, my family arrived. I had a six-year-old and a three-year-old and we arrived January 1st of 2000 and, um, and so we, we arrived basically when the hangover was kicking in uh, for the dot-com bubble burst. Wow. So yeah, we arrived geez. just, you know, at the absolute worst time. And uh, <laughs> I ended up staying with that firm um, for another uh, another two years. And I left uh, PTC in um, uh, 2000 and, uh, 2002. Early and then you had a, almost a 15-year career with SAP. Tell us about that transition now. Where, is that a company that you targeted to go after, or did they find you? How did that transition take place? Well, it was it was it was uh, September of 2002. Um, <laughs> wow, difficult time. Yeah, in the it, it was software industry. It was even even harder than 1990 when I started my yeah, career. Yeah. But uh, and telecom hadn't exploded yet, right? I mean that you know, because remember the internet went first, and that was a billion, and then it was a three billion market, you know, in telecom that was destroyed in, around indeed, 2002, 2003. Indeed, but yeah, the software yeah. was decimated. And, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And, yeah. um, so I, at, at the end of the day, Brand, I, I had two kids at home and a, and a jumbo wow. mortgage and living in Los Altos, <laughs> One California. Of the most expensive places in the entire world. I had oh, to, I had to pay the bills. So, yeah. um, I, I got introduced to, uh, a gentleman by the name of Greg Tom, who is, a uh, a general manager running the West for, uh, for SAP, this quirky SAP was a quirky German software company with, unbelievable products, unbelievable mm. customer base with a different way of doing business. And, and, uh, now, was that early days for SAP? I, I don't know much about their history. When, when were they actually founded? No, the, the company was founded in the, in the early seventies. Early seventies. So it had been around 30 years or so by the time. Came to the U S in the, in the late eighties. And, um, they were but publicly traded by then and very much public, publicly traded, but, but, sales, but yeah. yeah, multi, it was a multi-billion dollar company, but it was a misunderstood company because it, mm. it had this German heritage and, and, uh, we were sitting in, in Silicon Valley, but, but 
but they but it taught me early on the power of putting the customer at the center of what you yeah. do. Yeah. And they were very good at that. And the customers love the company. They love the company. They love the products, but they really love the people. The company had an amazing culture. Mm. A gentleman by the name of Bill McDermott came in as the CEO, um, right. who's a, you know, very, uh, you know, dynamic very, very dynamic, yeah. very yeah. famous yeah, I remember him. Yeah. software executive. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I, I ended up, uh, starting my career there in, in Silicon Valley and, and then uh, a couple of years into that job, I had a, a really great run coming out of the dot-com meltdown. We had a, had a great team that I managed on the West Coast. And my boss that I ended up working for for eight years said, hey, you know, would you move to Chicago and why don't you run mm. the services business? And wow. another interesting lesson, uh, uh, Brent, I, um, you know, while, while everybody was in the software space as in the sales world, he was asking me to go run a consulting business. Mm. And uh, it was a path that was least traveled. It was a path yeah. that didn't make any sense. And sometimes- right. That was even before IBM got into it, I think, right? For sure. You yeah. know, that was the yeah. early days of Accenture right. and IBM, right. but yeah. we had our own consulting business. So wow. they asked me to go, that was my first transformation job. That was the first job mm. where they asked me to transform a business. And uh, over the next three, four years, we took that business from, you know, roughly uh, 900 million to about 1.6 billion. And the operating margins from uh, from fifteen percent to close to forty percent. That was wow, a that was stupendous. a fab, that was a yeah. fabulous run. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you almost had it. Looks like your career every two years you were having new responsibilities. So you were really rising like a rocket there. What What do you attribute? You know your success and, and longevity there. Was it um, your attitude? Was it your good looks? Was it uh, <laughs> you know Def, your, your commitment to the enterprise? <laughs> definitely, definitely not my good looks. At the end of the day, I think. Um, listen, I I really believed in the culture. I believed in the vision. Mm. Uh, I had some terrific people that I worked for that yeah. I learned a lot from. Um, were there you know, mentors there though? You know, in, in big companies so often there are folks that, you know, maybe are five to 10 years ahead of you that, you know, kind of open a few doors from time to time, or perhaps give you an opportunity that they wouldn't have given others. Was, was that part of the culture? It was, um, you know, I had some terrific bosses, hmm. uh, along the way that, uh, I learned a lot, uh, and they were like the, the best ones are the ones that were really hard to work for, to be honest with you. So they were, yeah. They were super, maybe maybe more tormentors than mentors. They right? they, they definitely were. <laughs> they were they were persistent and uh, you know and uh, they they definitely were a dog on a bone. But but I learned a lot from them. And then mm. I was fortunate enough to also have a number of uh, of mentors that invested in me. And I think that that's an important balance too. I yeah. I recommend to people that you this is your career. You have to self advocate. That's right. Right. Don't let the company. Don't assume that the company is going to open the doors for you. You need to go self-advocate. You That's need right. to go make it happen. Uh, and you need to go get what you needed. And I, I was fortunate enough to have some mentors along the way that helped to kind of keep good balance. You know what I mean? I think when you have success, it's easy as a younger person to, to let it go to your head. And it, it's important to uh, to recognize that um, uh, that that we're all replaceable in business at the end of the day. Right. And, right. and every day we have a choice to make around the attitude we have. We have a choice to make on what sort of contribution we want to make to support the business and, 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 and make a strong contribution. And that, that attitude is so important. Yeah. It really is. Well, you know, we always, we always can remember certain meetings that we've had or mentors or former bosses that 
said certain things or provided certain, um, you know, direction as it relates to, uh, you know, what was going forward. I, I was sharing with a colleague this morning who's having a bit of a rough time dealing with one of her clients. And uh, I recalled when I was a young brand manager at P&G that a senior sales guy came in and I was having the, the usual marketing and sales kind of scuffle, right? Um, the, particularly in companies like Procter & Gamble, you know, that was going on. And he came in and closed the door. And he's a big guy. Alex was his name. He was probably six foot five. And I was sitting down at my desk and he leans over and looks me in the eye and said, Brant, the only thing that happens during a pissing match is everyone gets wet. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, it was one of those things that I remember through my career yeah. as to, you know, you're better to kind of manage through these things rather than just getting, you know, miffed off at everyone else. Tell us about a, an experience for us where, again, maybe it wasn't a comfortable one, but one in where, you know, you kind of learned a lesson even by either observing someone else's behavior or perhaps saw something that was going on and, you know, said, boy, I'll never do that again. <laughs> or, or I never want to exhibit that type of yeah. behavior that someone else was doing. Well, listen, I think, um, you know, in, in bigger companies, there's always going to be politics mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, uh, you can only control how you manage the situation. I remember right. yeah. in one of my, uh, jobs at SAP, um, you know, one of my colleagues was looking to increase their footprint and I'm, I'm competitive by nature. Um, I don't think really. You, I, I couldn't don't, tell. <laughs> I don't think you survive in these big companies if you're not if you don't have thick skin and and have a competitive you know yeah. a competitive threat in you. But but so this this individual is trying to increase their footprint. I felt you know I felt that they were trying to uh, you know kind of take control of things that I managed. Impede and, on and, your territory. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I got I I think the lesson learned is I got super territorial and. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you can, you know, I, I won the war, uh, the individual left the organization, but in many ways I may have lost the, you know, I, pardon me, I won the battle, but maybe I lost the war because yeah. I think it impacted, you know, the way I was perceived in the organization. And mm. so I think you got to sometimes pick your battles. Um, you know, you, you manage your brand at the end right. of the day. That's and, right. And sometimes, sometimes it's not a fight worth fighting. You know what I yeah, mean? Sometimes, right. yeah. Pick sometimes your the comp yeah. and, and now as a CEO, you know, I talk about the power of the interlock, right? So how does marketing and sales, you, you brought up those scuffles, right? And those happen right. every day, or, right. you know, it could be customer success and engineering, or it could be, uh, you know, it could be finance and, and sales, like <clears throat> these different parts of the organizations are, are constantly stretching and, and they're trying to find their turf and yep. and how they manage their business to to achieve. But it's it's the sum of the parts that really drives value for an organization. So true. And, and the customer can see it at the end of the day, and they can see uh, when an, when a company's really well aligned and well coordinated, and uh, and and they can see the power of that interlock, and that the byproduct of that is culture. Right. And, and right. early in my career, you know, I could sweep the floors as long as I could make money. Um, <laughs> I, you know what, maybe, maybe I'd be willing to sweep the floors, but as you get, or, as you, you, or you could paint the walls because you could, had a skill yeah, set for sure. Or I, you know, or I could go and be the cashier at 5am taking a, you know, 75 cents for people coming in for, to play hockey. Go. But, yeah, but yeah. I think, um, later in, you know, at, at this stage of my career, later stages of my career, um, Culture really matters at the end of the yes, day. And it's so much so. It's interesting today. I work for a company. I'm sure we'll talk about a little yeah. bit about where I am today. But but um, but young people today have zero tolerance for uh, a company that doesn't have, you know, good mojo, good, that's good, right. good culture. Yeah, and that's right. And 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 maybe in our careers growing up, you know, 
we weren't as conscious of the importance of culture because we were happy for a job and a paycheck, right? That's right. And we put up with a lot (laughs) just to get that, right? We we did indeed. (laughs) And today, these young people, you know, I tell them, you know, choose the right company that culturally is the right fit Mm, for you. And for a young person, that's hard to. It's hard to make that call. Hard to but, discern uh, too, you know, because they, they don't know as much about themselves, right? And that's, and that's uh, part that's of the journey. Point. So I, yeah. I tell yeah. I tell people, work for companies with high gross margins, right? Um, it's really important, right? <laughs> um, and then secondly, work for a culture uh, where you think that you'll be happy at the end of the day. Because right. if you're happy, you're going to thrive. And then figure out what you're good at and then exploit that, right? Leverage, right. leverage your strength to go and make an impact. Well, I want to get to your, your current corner office role in a minute, but, you know, almost 15 years with, with SAP, I'm sure there were moments when you kind of got probably past the eight to 10 year life that said, you know what, this is maybe where I'm going to end up. What, what kind of inspired you to move on after that long period of time? And, and, you know, was it a change in the direction of the company was, uh, you know, the recruiting, I think you went to dimension data next, if if I'm not mistaken, well, you know, tell us a little bit about that transition because, you know, I, I see, you know, as a recruiter, of course, I see those long-term commitments and there's usually a, a pretty good story around someone making that decision to move on. So what was yours? You know, I, I, I just got to a point where I felt that my career was plateau, that I had reached mm. a plateau. Yeah. Um, you weren't going to be CEO. <laughs> I was never going to be CEO. Um, right, right. I don't think I was ever qualified to be a CEO of that type of company. Sure. Um, but uh, I felt I had more to give, but the company saw me in a certain light and, and, mm. and they were very good to me. And, you know, I built my career. I was good to them. I contributed and, and right. uh, I think I made a strong contribution but I felt that the chapter was coming to a close and, uh, and that transition's really hard. Uh, it's, it's exceptionally difficult and, uh, it takes courage. It takes a bit of a leap of faith and, um, and it can be a little messy to be honest with you. Um, but, but it's interesting that the job I'm in today, I think in many ways, the board, kind of like the messiness uh, versus all the accolades <laughs> along the way because it built the adversity and yeah, uh, yeah. and and that adversity I think is that skill set I think is important working for a young company. So this is your second CEO position or you were CEO I guess of the Americas of, of Dimension Data. Tell us a little bit about that and and how that kind of transitioned to your current role. Well, I, listen, Dimension Data, I had a colleague of mine that was working in uh, in Asia. I, super respect for this gentleman. We grew up together at uh, at, uh, at SAP, and uh, he's a good man and a great leader, and he, ha- he was having a great run. And, uh, and, and Dimension Data is a great company. Uh, it's a South African-based organization mm. owned by a Japanese conglomerate. It was a big P&L. Wow. You know, the, the North America business had, I don't know, 2,200 people and, a wow. and a business of, uh, of, 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 of over 2 billion in, uh, in, in top line revenue. So this yeah. was a big complex business with, you know, with international South African ties and owned by the Japanese. I think I, I was in, I was in Tokyo six times in five months or five times in six months, something, something like that. Um, and, and the, the size of the PL uh, was appealing getting back to my, the consulting groups. Right. This was a managed right. management, uh, managed consulting business, managed services, consulting yeah. business yeah. in the telco space in the telecom space, fast growing space. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and, and some of those, the aspects of the job really appealed to me, the size and the international component, uh, the size, uh, the, the, um, uh, the expectation of the job to drive growth and, and, 
at the end of the day, it didn't pan out. Um, it, uh, you know, it culturally, wasn't a good fit. Mm-hmm. yeah, culturally, it yeah. just wasn't the right fit. wasn't the right. right time. Um, and I wasn't the right guy for the job. Uh, I think yeah. it was, it was a mistake along the way, but listen, I was there for two years, had some early success. And then, and then ultimately, you know, you know, the business can manage you. If you're not managing the business, you, the business will manage you. So that's right. The conclusion was it it's, it's time to move on. And, and, you know, we, 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 uh, we had a, you know, an amicable, uh, separation. Um, but it was important because, you know, it was a CEO job. It was an end to end job. I own the P and L. Um, it was a business with very, very thin margins. Uh, and I realized, you know, worrying about payroll cause you're not getting enough, you know, operating profit in the door is it. So that's dip- where you got that margin insight that you mentioned earlier. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's you important have to kind of go right? through one of those, don't you? You, you know, yeah. it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a low margin business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it, it, there wasn't enough product differentiation. It, it, uh, there was a reseller component that I did early in my career, but mm. at the end of the day, I, I, I coming out of that, I kind of knew exactly what I wanted. Um, and, and I'm really grateful for my time, uh, at, uh, at dimension data and NTT there, it's a world-class organization, great telco provider. And, uh, you know, sometimes the experiences we have, even if they're not successful, that's right. Um, if you're learning about yourself yeah. and you're building relationships along the way that, that I, I enjoy, and I, I, I'm grateful to have today. That's sometimes, those are sometimes better yeah. than all the wins yeah. along the way. So were you, were you recruited into this current role? Did you know a board member? Tell me about your path to your current uh, So I, I had determined that, that, uh, that I wanted to go and be a CEO of a SaaS company with a certain right. revenue stream, with a customer base. I'm not a startup guy. Um, yeah, I'm an market. operator. Yeah. So I wanted a company that, uh, that had a product and a revenue stream and customers. I do like turnarounds, though. I like companies where... Mm. I can roll up my sleeves and go and put my my thumbprint on the business and drive transformation and leverage all of the all of the skills that I've been fortunate to be exposed to uh, along my career. Um, a, a, a recruiter uh, uh, contacted me. I think I talked to maybe half a dozen different companies right. that were largely PE back. Um, and working for a private equity firm is very different than working oh, yeah. for a big global conglomerate uh, like NTT or SAP for that matter. And um, and uh, Brent, I love what I do. I, mm. I have found the perfect job. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's really, really hard. I can hear the passion in your voice, Ross. <laughs> but it's ama- it's amazing. I work, you know, we, we work with, you know, we've got uh, roughly 400 people, average age of 30 mm. years. Yeah. I have an unbelievably supportive. Not 30 years of experience, 30 years old. 30 right? years old, right? <laughs> we, we got a young group of people. And, and you know what? People want to be led, right? That's right. People want to be led in business. And, well, that, uh, that's a good uh, kind of leads me to explain. How, how has your leadership style evolved over time? You know, what, what would you say you're doing differently now than you did during your years, say at SAP? It's not about me, would be probably mm. the caption mm. here. Um, yeah. The higher up you get in the organization, the perception is you control everything. You know, you get all this power, you're the CEO, you got the corner office. You actually control less, you mm. have far more responsibility and accountability, but you control less because the, the art of leadership, uh, in these bigger jobs is the art of managing through influence versus the command and control. And uh, there's only so many hours in the day at the end of the day, right? You know, and you can only do so much. You can only do so much, but it's a little bit of a philosophical, Mm. uh, transition, right? If you think about it in the context that the people here are 
not here to work for you. The reality is you're here to work for them. That's true. You're here. It's servant led leadership, Inverted right? I think, pyramid. Yeah. And I think Gandhi talk about, talks about that and, and uh, I'll butcher the quote, but, but I really believe it. And, and more importantly, if the people believe it, um, and if, and if it's authentic, you can do some pretty cool things. Yeah. You can do some pretty cool things with an average product in a, in a growth market. But if you've got a growth market with an amazing product and a product innovation agenda, we should talk about that as well. Um, and you get the culture right and you get the balance right. Um, I'll tell you, you're on, you're unstoppable, whether you're a big company or a small company, uh, you can do amazing things. And it's, it's really, really fun watching that transformation take place. Well, you know, the CEO really does drive the company culture. So to tell us a little bit about what's unique where you are currently and, you know, how, how would you describe that's, you know, kind of what's, what's unique and, or what's unusual perhaps about Alita? Well, first of all, it, it's, it's, a, it's a young company. We're a, mm. a global organization stretching from Hong Kong, Sydney, Singapore to, uh, to the U.S. Uh, we have a, a dual headquarters in, in Toronto and, and Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a, a great EMEA business in London, Paris, and Munich. Um, uh, so it's a global footprint. Uh, it's a 20-year-old company. Uh, we built a, a platform for market research um, what we refer to as the insight community. So it's right. a, it's a software product where you can listen to what your customers customer are looking for. So you can, mm. you know, you can drive outcomes by, by shifting your strategy. And, and in today's day with all of the challenges, the global micro and macro economic impact, all of the things that are going on in the world right now, you really need to listen to what That's your customer's right. looking yeah. for. It's yeah. so, it's so important. And we've been really fortunate through, uh, through the pandemic, uh, to, um, uh, to really, I think in some ways the pandemic, um, has really helped our company. It sounds counterintuitive, Brent, but, but it's brought our company closer together. It's forced us to kind of figure it out together. The, the remote world, albeit really, really hard. Um, I think the company is the, the employees have done a fantastic job. And, and I think we've pivoted from kind of a culture where we're kind of, we're worried about the employees. We're worried about each other to thinking about the customer and what we yeah. do. Right. And what's right. interesting is when you really think about the customer and you take care of the customer, the byproduct of that, candidly, is employees are feel really good about what they're yeah. doing because they Takes feel like care of your people. They're, ha yeah. they're having impact, and yeah. and and we're we grew so close to forty four percent this past wow. year uh, in the pandemic. We that's incredible. That's we, that's fantastic. We, we had a we had a great uh, we had a great year. We we had we reset expectations when COVID hit. Uh, from the original expectations that the board set out. And we actually have delivered on the original expectations pre-COVID uh, wow. as a result of some really great work uh, by the employees. Yeah, that's fantastic. What, what do you look, I mean, with that kind of growth, you're obviously hiring, bringing people in at entry level and mid-management as well. What, what do you look for when you're, you know, making bets on the people you invest in and hire? Well, we're listen. We're we're hiring. Uh, we're hiring engineers. We're hiring salespeople and customer mm -hmm. success people. We're hiring field people. Um, you know, I have a I have a really patient, impatient board. Um, uh, and uh, it's a now, you are of, private equity, partially private we're, equity. No, now? we're one hundred percent private 100%, equity. Right. Uh, so we, uh, but they 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 can see how, how our company is growing, and uh, well, they have to be happy with forty four percent. <laughs> no, they're, they're excited. We, we were all green on, on, on our expectations, yeah. but I think, I think it's the intangibles that they're perhaps most mm. excited about the alignment across the executive team, 
we we rebranded the company, which has been uh, right. an, an interesting yeah. uh, an interesting road. Uh, we've what was re- the insight on that, Ross? We talked a little bit about that the other day, but uh, what made you or led you to believe that you needed to rebrand? You know, we we were a twenty year old company with a a brand that um, I didn't think added value to the company. Mm. Um, uh, terrific customers that you know grew up on the on the back of our products, but I didn't feel that. Uh, the, 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 the legacy company name, uh, vision critical, uh, represented the future potential and we were pivoting the business. So it appeared to me to be the right thing to Good do time. to kind of yeah. pull the bandaid. We wanted to pivot the business. We wanted to present ourselves in a different way. Uh, we had a terrific, uh, consulting firm that we worked with in, in Toronto to help us through that process. Great. Uh, leadership from my marketing team, and uh, and and we came up with Alita, and Alita means uh, it means verity, it means truth. Mm. Uh, it's a Latin word, it's a heroine, yeah. and um, and I, I believe that uh, by putting the customer at the center of what you do, and walking in their shoes is is kind of uh, it's kind of consistent with what we do for a living, right? We right. we're here to. Uh, we have to be empathetic and there needs more. We need more empathy in the, in the world, in the plant, on the planet, in the world. We <laughs> yes. need more empathy. World events certainly would indicate that. No doubt. <laughs> we need more empathy in, uh, in, in the software industry, right? It's yeah. not about yeah. requiring quota and, and maximizing market value. Um, it's, it's a, it's about having empathy for your customers and yeah. walking in their shoes. And that, that, uh, I'm, uh, I think our branding helped us to kind of pivot the business, and to get the employees to think about the company in a different way. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud of what they've accomplished, you know, the number of promotions, the number of mm. new hires, but the number of people that have been promoted internally and, and just watching these folks taking on things they'd never done before and, you know, doing fantastic things and making mistakes. You got to have a culture where it's okay. You may not want to make them the same mistake multiple times, but, right. but being in a culture where you can make mistakes, I think is, uh, is, is, important. is, is important yeah. at the end of the day. And, uh, and I think the branding was a big part of that. And we recently were recognized by, uh, by Gardner, uh, what they refer to as their magic quadrant. And we were recognized, uh, as one of the top firms in this, what we call customer experience management mm. space. So we're, we're very proud of that. And that that's opened a whole bunch of doors for us, which is, you know, we're excited to go and compete with, with some of the other guys in that space, yeah. the big guys awesome. in that space. Getting back to the hiring principles, you know, I know that obviously there's a lot more investment of your time when you're looking at some of your direct reports, but you know, from time to time, I'm sure you get involved in maybe two or three layers be- below, you know, your obviously direct reports in the organization and maybe you have five or 15 minutes with someone, you know, that they think is a high performer that they want to bring in. You know, if you just have that much time, what do you try to zero in on? What, what do you try to find out from that employee or that potential employee uh, that may be joining your organization? Well, it's it's a great question, uh, Brent, because every field resource, so every sales rep, every customer success rep, every solution engineer, I've interviewed on the way in. Wow, it, it's really? been a huge investment, and it oh, it's usually a thirty minute touch point. But I've yeah, learned a lot yeah. about our company uh, by by meeting uh, our the candidates coming into the company, and I. Uh, I think it's differentiation, right? For new people coming in the company to have an opportunity to interview with the CEO. Mm. Uh, that's part of that servant based leadership. I want them, I want to know who's coming into our company and I want to make sure that there's the right cultural fit. And I want them to know that, that we're here to help expand their career. And, uh, so what questions do you ask? What's kind of the, do you have a killer question? 
You know, is there one that you kind of, you know, gosh, I really want to have a, the right answer to this one, or is it kind of, you know, different for everyone that comes in the door? Well, I, I like to focus on culture at the mm. end of the day. And I, I don't yeah. care if you're 22, 32 or 52, um, regardless of age, I want, I want you to, I want to understand what is the culture that you're looking for? And, right. and many people don't have an answer for it. Um, which means I can help maybe give them some shaping on what type of culture they're looking for. And, mm. and that culture can help them determine whether we're the right company. Yeah. yeah right. Very important. Um, right. and, uh, and, and, and there's a whole bunch of questions you can ask that, that help to kind of, I think, peel back the onion, right? Where do you want to be in five years, right? You know, some of the questions you've asked around where did you grow mm. up and what was important to you and what were some of your values? I think those are all very important. Mm. But I think the, yeah. other, the other important piece is that um, I'm an ambassador for Alita. So right. I need to make sure that I'm representing who we are. You know, there's always a little bit of selling and there's a little bit of interviewing. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. I think it's important to be a good ambassador for your company mm. at the end of the day. Employees have choice. And I think we need to, we, we got to stay hungry. We got to stay humble. Um, we got to stay curious. And that whole rebranding actually launched uh, a, a brand new whole value system for our company. So our wow. values today, we need to be bold. We need to be curious. We need to be empathetic. And finally, mm. we have to be authentic. And, uh, and I talk about those values, uh, with the candidates, uh, around culture. And what's interesting is the young people that I'm talking to, Brent, they get it. Yeah, they totally yeah. get it. And mm. they're looking for that. They may not be able to articulate it, but, mm. but they're looking for that feel. And I think that that's what make our comp makes our company particularly interesting for young people, the ability to yeah. advance and, and grow and have opportunity maybe beyond their years but to be part of a culture that that lives those values, mm. um, again, you and I weren't looking for them right thirty years ago. But right, right. the young people today, they expect it. They yeah. they demand it, don't they? That's great, Ross. Well, listen, time has flown by. I just look at my recording here, and so for obvious reasons, we got to wrap things up. But uh, there, there's one last question we always like to ask our guests, and you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give someone that maybe has their eyes in the corner office, or perhaps wants to run an organization, as you said one day, that was kind of that right size, that Goldilocks fit? Um, you know, what would you tell them? Well, I, th I think two quick things. First of all, um, I don't think to be a CEO. I, uh, your career is a journey, right? You don't wake mm. up and say, I want to be a CEO. Some people do. I, I, ne I didn't necessarily, I, I, I didn't come to that conclusion because I didn't think I was qualified. Mm. And I guess my message is that's okay. Cause, cause your career is a journey, right? right. And it's, right. and it's not about, it's not about ticking the boxes on the resume. It's about the experiences you, you, you develop and the people you have the opportunity to work with, uh, sure. and work for, to go and learn the skills um, but finally, when you reach that point, just have the courage to take on the risk at the end yeah. of the day, yeah. right? You know, courage is a great thing. If, if you've got great skills and a great education and a great family, it's okay to go take on something that might be a little messy, right? That's part of the journey in life. And, uh, and you'll know it when you're ready, but don't That's be right. afraid of, of taking the risk, um, yeah. and, and, and celebrate the journey, right? You know, it's, uh, the journey is part of life, right? It's part of what we do. And it's part of what I so much love being the CEO and being the privilege of leading this team at Alita, right? It's the journey we're on yeah. is so much fun. 
and uh, and 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 that's a good that's an important thing too. Make Time sure that you can make sure that yeah. you can be have fun at what you're doing at the same time. <laughs> well, Ross Wainwright, CEO of Alita, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks for the opportunity today, Brent. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 